Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. The disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of, because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who, sorry, <laughs> for in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowel. Instead, they put it put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Well, it's great to be with you for the weekend, and I'm looking forward to uh, looking at God's Word with you and thinking about Christians in society. What I'm planning to do this weekend is not work through one particular part of the Bible, but look at a few different parts. Uh, each talk will have a passage that we're focusing on, but even within each talk, uh, we'll probably look at some other parts of the Bible uh, as we go along and try to build up a, a little bit of a picture of um, what it is that God calls us to be as His people living in His world, but in a world that is turned away from Him. Uh, my plan is that this morning we'll look at two uh, sort of fairly foundational topics and hopefully build a framework. And then the next, the next three talks, so this evening and then the two talks tomorrow, look at three different topics, three different issues that are fairly big issues in our world and uh, see how we should respond to those and think about what it means for us as a church to uh, think about those topics and uh, try and respond properly to them. So this morning I want us to focus our thinking on Matthew chapter 5 and 6, uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, uh, and then the next few verses as well. So have a pray for us, and uh, if you've got your Bible open, or if you've got your Bible there, open it up to that passage, and uh, let's ask the Lord to help us, and then turn to his word, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you don't leave us to try and guess what your will is, but you reveal it to us in your word. Uh, you call us to live as your people and you show us what that's like. Uh, you teach us 
through your own Son, the Lord Jesus, how we are to live for you. And we pray that uh, this weekend uh, you'll help us individually and particularly as a group of your people, as a, a church, to deepen our commitment to living faithfully for you. We pray that you'd sharpen up our understanding of what that means. Help us to encourage each other, uh, even in areas that are difficult, especially in areas that are difficult, uh, that we might be faithful to you, that we might indeed be salt and light. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you read these words at the beginning of Matthew 5, and you have to ask Jesus, can you be serious? in what you're saying. It, it, sound, it must be a joke, mustn't it? Uh, it doesn't make sense. The words that we often call the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, are words that Christians often draw comfort from. But when you take them seriously, they really are bizarre. What is Jesus talking about here? See, blessed, blessed, however we're going to pronounce it, means you have what is really worth having. You have an enviable life. You have the kind of things to which everybody aspires. It's not just happy. It's better than happy. It's bigger than happy. This is, you have got the very best thing. And Jesus said, the best thing that anybody can possibly have is to be poor in spirit, to be weak and struggle, to mourn, to be meek, that is to hold back from asserting yourself, to long for righteousness, to be merciful, to have a heart devoted to God, to work for peace. To suffer for his sake. And he says, that is to have really good. Now, I would suggest to you that if you would get if you got to choose your next door neighbour, you'd probably be pretty happy to have somebody who was meek and merciful and peace loving. But if you got to choose that neighbour, my guess is you wouldn't automatically envy them. Gee, I wish I was gentle like he is. I wish I felt desperate about the way the world is like she does. And if they were persecuted, if people spat on them in the street and mocked them and insulted them, would you say, gee, their life is so good. I wish I could have what they have. But that's what Jesus is saying. And then he goes on to say that those very people are salt and light in the world. Those very people are the people who make a difference. They're the people who flavour things and preserve things and make things clear and make things safe. That's the kind of thing that salt and light do. And we all know that's not actually true, don't we? We know it's not the weak and the meek who get things changed. It's not the hated and the sad 
who change the world. It's the rich and the powerful and the popular and the people with influence. They're the people who actually make a difference in the world. So this weekend, as we want to think about how do we live in our world, how, what does it mean for Christians to live in society? Here's a key passage, but it's actually a very strange key. Uh, it really turns our expectations and our thoughts about this topic upside down. Jesus says such strange things. So what I want us to look, to look at this morning is what he's saying here, and how does Jesus' words here help us uh, to know how to live for him in his world. Well, I think the big clue to what Jesus is talking about here is in that first blessing and in the last one. Blessed are the poor and spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who persecute because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And beginning and ending with the kingdom of heaven gives us the clue that that's what it's all about. Especially since Matthew's already told us in chapter 4 that Jesus began his ministry preaching the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the message that Jesus brings and this passage ties into the idea of the kingdom being near. Now in the Old Testament, God had taught people to look forward to the time when he himself would come, when he would save his people, defeat their enemies, bring justice and peace and harmony and prosperity, the day when he would be honoured and people from every nation would come to Israel because they would come to the true God and God's glory would fill the whole earth. And in that great new age that God spoke about through his prophets, he said he would send his Messiah, his promised king, who would be the king of the kingdom and would bring his kingdom. And now Jesus comes and announces the kingdom of God is near. Of course, he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the promised king who brings the kingdom. He says it is near. It's just around the corner. It's just over the horizon. The next episode will be the kingdom, and the current episode is almost finished. God's great future is about to dawn. And Jesus says that the kind of people who are blessed, the kind of people who have what is really worth having, are people who live for and long for that kingdom. See, each of the blessings, each of the attitudes says, uh, well, most of them say, will be. They will be comforted. They will inherit. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. And when you think about each of the characteristics that are described, it describes someone who lives for the kingdom and longs for God's kingdom to come. And so what Jesus is saying is, in each place is, the person who really longs for what God is about to do is the person who will receive the blessing when it comes, when the kingdom comes. At the end of last year, I was uh, fortunate enough to be in New Zealand at the time of the World Cup. Uh, and uh, the people I was over there to do some things with did think it was sort of 
rather coincidental that I've managed to time the trip for the World Cup. Uh, but it had been them who actually suggested the dates. Anyway, I, um, it was interesting being in New Zealand uh, during that time uh, because you, you might remember it had been 24 years or something since New Zealand had won the World Cup. And of any nation in the world, perhaps apart from Wales, uh, rugby really, really matters in New Zealand. And so driving around the North Island uh, over a couple of weeks, almost every house and every farm gate had an all blacks flag flying. Um, it was funny, I was at church one, 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 on one Sunday and the news came through, I think on that day, that Dan Carter, their star 5'8", had injured himself. And everybody at church, uh, including lots of the older ladies who I wouldn't have thought were particularly rugby fans, everybody was talking about Dan Carter's injured groin. <laughs> <laughs> there was a national election coming up in just a few weeks after the Rugby World Cup, and the pundits were saying that the result of the Rugby World Cup would probably have a major influence on the outcome of the election. If uh, they won the World Cup, then the, then, uh, the, the government would, be, would, would uh, win the election, which is what happened. The whole nation had invested in a hope. And that's what they were living for. That's what they were interested in. That's what mattered to them. And when they did win the World Cup, then they all shared in the blessing, in the victory, in the glory, in the rejoicing. And Jesus describes people who are like that. People who really are desperate for God to bring his kingdom. And he says, those people, those people have really got what is worth having. And that should be us as well. In fact, if we are Christians, it is us, even if that's not the way we automatically think about it. A Christian is someone who's realised that this age and this world have gone wrong, that Things have been corrupted by sin, that we've been corrupted by sin, that we're ruled by the evil one and not by God, and that Jesus is the rightful ruler, that he has come to bring the kingdom, and we're now living for that hope that the kingdom will come fully and finally. Now, that's what a Christian is. Yes, a Christian is someone who's been forgiven and who's been accepted by God as one of his children. Because you can't enjoy God's coming rule unless you're forgiven. And to enjoy God's rule is to be one of his children. But being a Christian is not just about what we have now, but also what we long for and look forward to and expect God will do. So just occasionally people will say, look what Jesus says here, he said to his disciples before his death and resurrection, we're in a different sort of circumstance, a different situation. Uh, I want to say to you on this thing, that's not the case at all. What we, our situation is really the same as the disciples. We also are to be people who long for God's kingdom. Let me, let me show you the same pattern. If you turn over to the book of Colossians, so Paul's letter to the Colossians. First of all, chapter 1, verse 12. Colossians 1.12 And he 
says we're to live joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. An inheritance is something that you get in the future. He's talking about something you'll receive in the future in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Because he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we've transferred dominions and rulerships and kingdoms from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of the Son and because of that we have an inheritance. We look forward to a, a new future. Uh, over in chapter 3 of Colossians, the beginning of chapter 3, uh, a similar pattern. You have been raised with Christ, verse 1. Set your hearts on things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ is seated at the right hand of God is, talks about rulership, being king. Christ is king now, and we share that with him already, raised with Christ. Therefore, set our minds on that, on that, those things above. Uh, you have died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So already we share in this kingdom, but verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So, now we too have an inheritance. We have a stake in God's future. And that is to shape the way we live. And what Jesus shows us, if we head back to Matthew 5, is that living for God's people, being the kind of people who really look forward to what God will do fully and finally when Jesus returns, makes us very, very different. See, most people around us have made peace with how things are now. They live fairly comfortably with this age. They get along, perhaps they even enjoy it most of the time. From time to time they feel a bit of disquiet, they worry about things. But, but basically, this is what they know, this is the world they accept, and they fit in with that. But Jesus' disciples are to be different. See, we're the people who know that things are wrong and they need to be fixed up. And not because we're really clever and people around us aren't as clever as us. We know that things are wrong and need to be fixed up because of Jesus. It's because we've listened to him, because we know how bad things are. Are they so bad that, Jesus, that God had to send his son Jesus to live and die and rise again and return? And so we look at the world very, very differently to people around us. Uh, in one way we're more realistic and in another way we're far more, I was going to say optimistic, but I don't think optimistic is the right word, far more hopeful. On the one hand, we're more realistic about how bad things are. And on the other hand, we're far more confident about how things will finally turn out. You actually see that difference in the way Christians look at the world, uh, in the way we react to death and dying. I'm going to say a bit more about death and dying tomorrow. Um, but you know, I've noticed 
from, uh, I guess, especially when I was when I was a minister in a congregation at Akara, that basically for non-Christians there were two kinds of funerals that you got. Uh, they, they seem to fall into one into into one of two camps. Either the view would be taken that, well, he's had a good innings. Uh, you know, his time was up. That's it. It's been a good while it lasted. But sort of time to move on. That's the cycle of life. Uh, you know, the, the, the kind of funeral where at the, uh, in, in the eulogy, someone from the family or one of the friends would say, look, you, we all know she really wants to have a party. So that's what we're going to do. You know, it's just, this is how life is. Or the other kind of funeral is overwhelmingly tragic. Uh, you get up to start leading the funeral and there'll be a family sitting in the front row who are just utterly devastated. Uh, can't control their sobbing. Or perhaps they're beyond that, they're just stunned. And it's unbearable to see how awful this is for them. But Christians don't take either of those views about that. On the one hand, we don't say, oh, well, that's just the way it is, that's the cycle of life, it's you know, time to move on. We actually say, that's awful, death is bad. God has made his human creatures to live and thrive, not to die. And so we don't, we, we don't just say, there's nothing sad about this, let's just move on. But we also know that death is a defeated enemy. It, it doesn't have the last word uh, on our world or in the lives of those who believe in Jesus and follow him and are united to him. And, and so our response to death is this mixture that in one sense doesn't make sense to the world around us. Uh, we know how ugly it is. We don't try and sentimentalise it. We know that it's awful. We don't just happily accept it, but we aren't overwhelmed by it. We actually can face it with hope and confidence because we know the resurrection and the life. And that pattern of being on the look directly at reality and admit that things are wrong and yet be hopeful about it is, is what characterises people who live for the kingdom. And that's what Jesus describes here. Are people who long for things to be different, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's one of the ways Jesus talks about it. If you're someone who wants God to rule and you live in a world where he doesn't rule the way he should, uh, if you're someone who prays your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, <laughs> then you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want things to be different. Uh, you mourn over how things are now. I don't think verse 4, uh, blessed are the mourn, is particular, those who mourn is particularly about mourning at funerals, unless it's that Christian mourning that actually mourns not just over this person being lost from me and my grief, but actually about this being part of a whole world that's gone wrong. 
Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be comforted. They will be filled. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. People whose hearts don't have a divided focus but long for God, long to know Him, who love Him, who want Him. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. And so Jesus describes people here who long for God's kingdom, who know that something's wrong and want God to make it right, who won't simply settle for the status quo. Uh, One of the things that means, and one of the things that comes through in the Beatitudes, is that that will mean that we face up to our own helplessness. Uh, In two ways. First of all, you recognise you can't fix things up for yourself. That even if all of us get together and work really hard, we can't fix up what's wrong in our world, let alone bring God's future. And we also see our own helplessness because we realise we aren't appropriate for the kingdom. We don't fit the kingdom. That to long for the kingdom is to ask God to come as judge and sort out evil. And then we realise that we are sinners as well. And so Jesus describes particularly people who face their own helplessness, people who are poor in spirit, who admit their powerlessness and their weakness and their need for God, people who are meek, who don't claim their own rights, who don't think they have rights and claims over God. And all of that makes us different. We live in a world where we're trained to assert ourselves and demand things and complain when they're not right, to be our own person. But the kingdom makes us dependent people. I think the most obvious way that we show that is prayer. Most Christians, even most people, even lots of Christians, tend to think that prayer is kind of weak. Prayer is what we do at the last minute when we can't think of anything else to do. But the kingdom perspective is that it's God who can make the difference. It's God who can fix things up. It's God on who we rely. And so the first thing we do is to pray. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. To rely upon God instead of relying upon ourselves. Other Beatitudes talk about the way in which people who live lives for the kingdom reflect the kingdom. As people who have been welcomed into God's kingdom, we know that God is merciful, and so we are merciful. We are forgiving. We are actively caring for people because that's what God did for us. He sought us out and found us when we were lost and weak and dead. And so, verse 7, we will be merciful. A God makes peace. And so a kingdom person is someone who strives for peace, who seeks reconciliation and harmony. And so Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. 
And, and all of this makes us very different. Uh, because we're living for a different future. We're living for uh, a future that we know God will bring. It makes us different not because we go out of our way to be different to the people around us, to wear some strange clothes or talk in weird ways or behave in ways that just don't fit in. That, that's not what makes Christians different, but because of who we are and what we stand for uh, and who we rely on and the future that we long for, that makes us different. And so we won't be welcomed. We can actually expect that people around us will reject us and even hate us for this. Because we stand for living for a future which they don't want, which they're not hoping for, and which, although they may not quite see it this way and perhaps hasn't been exposed to them, they actually are running away from it. And so Jesus says, people will insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And these virtues that Jesus praises, these apparently unimpressive qualities, describe someone who longs for God's kingdom. And living and longing for God's kingdom makes a difference. Uh, first of all, because God will triumph. Now, as we've seen, even though Jesus describes unimpressive people, he says that they have it good. And the reason for that is the kingdom will come. People who live for the kingdom will get what they most want. The triumph of God, the final victory of God over all sin and all evil. That's Jesus' great point. The kingdom is on its way. The kingdom of God is near. And so you can rest content that God will rule. And that gives you freedom to live his way now. And in fact, even while we still wait for God to rule fully and finally, we enjoy some of these blessings. You are a child of God. You have a comfort already. Already you grow in righteousness. Already you know God. But this makes a difference in another way as well. Jesus goes on to say to his disciples, having talked about the surprising fortune of these unimpressive people who live for the kingdom, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And there are images about people who make a difference. See, this is God's way at present. Before the kingdom comes, God puts his people in his world to live in a way that shows that the kingdom is coming. And as we do that, we're to be salt. In Jesus' day, salt was an essential preservative. It was just basic to ancient life that you needed salt to preserve your food. Uh, and because of that, it was a very valuable thing in the ancient world. And so the disciples are to be the element of life in a world that's going wrong. And they're to be light. Uh, light, I think, captures all sorts of different things as an image, doesn't it? It's about purity. 
that goodness and truth. It's also the idea of a presence and of God's presence. And light in the Old Testament was often a symbol of God being present. And of course, in the Old Testament, God says to his servant in the book of Isaiah, I will make you a light for the Gentiles uh, to bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Light is God's salvation. His purity, His truth. It's about life in God's presence. And Jesus' disciples are to be the light of the world. The way in which we live is to bring that light, to bring that purity and truth and salvation to the world. Now, how are we to do that? How are we to be salt and light? Well, I think the connection between these two passages, uh, they just flow one to the other, shows us how. It's by being kingdom people. It's by living out those Beatitudes. Not, not just as individuals, but as a group together. As God's society, his community, his church. Uh, in verse 14, Jesus compares us to a town, a city. Built on a hill, can't be hidden. And so you as Port Macquarie Presbyterian Church, as you as a community of God's people, together live out the kind of life that's described in the Beatitudes. That's how you're salt and light in the world. In the world. Jesus does warn there's a danger of tasteless salt. Salt can lose its saltiness, he says. There's a danger of a light being hidden. That's not what should happen, but the fact that Jesus mentions it recognises there's a danger there. That's not what's to happen. Instead, the light should be put on a stand to give light to everyone. When Christians blend in, when we just take on board the values of the world around us, when we live the way people around us live, we lose our we lose our saltiness, we lose our shine, we lose our brightness. So here is how we follow Jesus uh, in this world. Uh, we live for the kingdom as his people. Let me put this into some of the debates that we have about Christians in society as I uh, finish up. And uh, once, once I've finished, we, we should have plenty of time for questions or discussion if you want to ask things or uh, ask me to fill things out a bit more. There are three common views that Christians often take to how we should engage with society. I mean, there's more than three, but let's work with three at this stage. One is that we try and withdraw. We circle the wagons, we feel threatened, and so we pull back as much as we can from uh, the wider society and we just live in our own comfortable circles. Uh, that's one sort of approach. Another approach is, is to try and resist. And not only to resist, but to really try and change society in a way that focuses on uh, political campaigns, on getting Christians into parliament, on influencing the media, and we feel like we've all got to be out there uh, 
trying to recapture the soul of our nation. A third view is that we just think, well, we don't want to withdraw, but, we, but our goals are not political. Uh, what we need to do is just tell people about Jesus, just do evangelism. And that's really what the church is called to do. So we can withdraw, we can try and change society in a political way, or through the media, or we can focus on evangelism. And I want to say there's something right about all three of those, uh, in different ways. And yet all three of them miss something that is really key in the way God operates in our world. God wants his people now to live for the kingdom now. To, together. To be salt and light in the very way in which we live as God's people, as his church, caring for each other, and as we do that, bearing witness to the kingdom. Jesus doesn't give us some grand political scheme, some great political method uh, or political agenda to pursue. But it's interesting, he doesn't really give us a mission method either. He doesn't write a book on, uh, you know, here are the techniques to grow the church or to get the gospel out of the media. What he does, he says, be my people. Live this out. Let your deeds, let the light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the principle that he gives us is to be different, especially as a church, especially as a community. That people will notice that. Some people will hate it. So let's say this is a way of avoiding insult and persecution and rejection. In fact, he's saying that will be part of it. But others will be drawn to the light as well. And now what I want to do in the next uh, talk is think about how do we think about different issues in our lives and in our society in a way that helps us to live that out, to live out the call of being kingdom people. And then to think about a few particular issues in that area. But Jesus calls us to be together, his community, his people who live differently because we live for the kingdom. And Jesus says that is the best way to live. How about I pray and then I'll see if you've got questions or comments or things you want to pursue. Let's pray. Father, we recognise how challenging and difficult this can be. It's easy to fit in. It's easy to be nervous about being different. We pray that you'd open our eyes uh, through your word uh, to what it means to live for the kingdom that you've promised us, for the future that we have in Christ. Uh, give us the courage and wisdom and love and patience that we need to do that. Help us to encourage one another uh, in this. And as we talk about issues through the, this weekend, we pray that it will enable us to learn from uh, your word together 
uh, sharing the wisdom that you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.